We've got to look into God's Word. We're speaking here this morning about divine faithfulness as we continue our journey through the prophetic word, God's word of Hosea. These 12 minor prophets simply mark so because of the length of their pieces, the length of the work, the book itself being smaller than the major prophets. But each one of these minor prophets pointing us to Christ. In Obadiah, we see that Jesus Christ is the loyal brother. In Joel, Jesus is the sovereign Lord. In Jonah, he's the compassionate Savior. In Amos, he's the just husband, he's the just master. Amos, he's the just master, and in Hosea, he is the faithful husband. There's a, a difference in the life of someone who has, as we have been learning, there's the difference in the life of someone who has been marked out by God as his, and in the life of someone who has not been marked out by God. Very interesting. The person who has been called by God, the person who has been elected by God from before the foundation of the earth, that person will experience life, even life in sin, in a different way than the person who has not been marked out by God. It's interesting, there are some people who can just continue to seem to go through life rather unabated. Sure, there are pitfalls and sure there are consequences, but they just continue on through life. They they start out in sin, they were conceived in sin, as David tells us. They continue in sin throughout their whole life. They, there seems to be some problems in their life, but rather smooth life, and then they end up going to the grave. Some people lasting in that way, 80, 90, even 100 years of going throughout life, separated from God and yet seeming to be quite fine with it. Yet, for someone who has been marked by the Lord, that kind of life comes at some point to an end. And even the experience of sin in their life is different because of the convicting presence of God. And even after a person becomes saved and if they decide to rebel, there is a difference in their rebellion against the Lord and the person who was never saved in the first place. There's a great difference. The person who is saved and who knows Christ and who decides to walk away for a while and rebel against the Lord, there is a torment that is continual. And in the back of their mind, they know something is wrong. Sure, they are enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season, but in the back of their mind, in the bottom of their heart, they know that this is evil, they know it's wrong, and they can even hear the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ calling them back. There's a conviction there. So they go in and they're experiencing the party scene, they're experiencing the life of sin, and yet there's a difference in the experience it, itself. There's a difference. There's a difference, and they know it, and sometimes there are others who knows it. 
There's a way that the Lord deals with the rebellion of those who are his. There's a specific way he deals with the rebellion of those who are his. That's what we are seeing here in the book of Hosea. Those who are his, those who have been marked out by him. A special mark, the mark of Christ. It's not a literal mark on our forehead or something that we carry around. But it's a mark. It's the seal of the Holy Spirit. It's his mark on our life. It's his calling. It's his effectual calling before we are saved. And it's his continual conviction even after we are saved. We know that we are his. Listen, you can talk to somebody who is walking away from the Lord. There have been many people who are saved and yet for a season in their life begin to rebel. The notion that somebody who is saved will just always be faithful to the to the very end, just in this continual, unabated, never sinning kind of lifestyle is just not true. Of course, we all know that we sin as believers, and that's why we have to confess our sin. But there's even times of rebellion in believers' lives. Think about the life of David and many others. David called a man after God's heart. He was marked out by God as his. The Lord knows who are his. 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you flip over there, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 says this, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So the call, the continual call of the Christian is to be separated from sin. So there are those who do not know God, and yet they have been marked out by God to, at some point in their life, become a Christian. God is going to chase that person down. He's going to hem them in, he's going to put them in situations that finally they come to the breaking point of where they say, I need the Lord. And that person can look back over their life and say, I remember this situation in my life. That had to have been God. That had to have been God. It was a situation where it could have gone a very different way, and yet the Lord wouldn't allow me, as I'm looking back, the Lord wouldn't allow me to continue down that path. And at some point in that person's life, the person who has been marked out by God as his, there is a genuine conversion. You see this in the nation of Israel, God calling them, calling them, calling them, calling them. But there had to come a point where they would say, we will bow the knee. And then after conversion, there are times where a person will say, Lord, even though I have submitted to your lordship, this is not sloppy agape. This is not easy grace. This is not where you can just say a prayer and then go do whatever you want. There have been many people who have said things like that. Well, you just, you just say a prayer and then you can go to heaven and then you just go on living any lifestyle that you like. No, no, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about what we are speaking of this morning is talking about somebody who has been genuinely converted. Somebody who has really come to Christ. Somebody who has understood the gospel and has said, Lord Jesus Christ, I understand that you're Lord and I submit 
to your authority, I come underneath your leadership. And yet at a point in their life, they, for some reason and for some time, begin to walk away. But the Lord brings them back. And we said in the case where a person who has been marked out by God, has been marked out by God, and is a believer and continues in the path of sin and yet will not come back, that the Lord will take that person out. He will take them home. And we see that Paul says that he even delivered someone over to Satan, that his flesh may be destroyed. That is, he may even come to the point of dying, but that in the end he would go and he would know Christ. Or First John chapter 5, where it says there is a sin unto death. So listen, believer, if you truly know the Lord and you are walking with him and you have come to a place where you know him, Continue in that path. Continue to walk in holiness because there is discipline for those who decide to begin to walk away. The Lord knows who are his. Numbers chapter 16, verse 5. If you go over there, Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16, verse 5. And he said to Korah and all his company, this is Moses, if you look back in verse 4. In the morning, the Lord will show who are his. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, you can find this in some of your notes, literally says the Lord knows who are his. And who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. And then if you go over to Psalm chapter 37, Psalm chapter 37, Psalm 37, verse 18, Psalm 37, verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the blameless. He knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. Verse 28 of the same chapter of Psalm 37. For the Lord loves justice. And he will not forsake his saints. It's his saints. It's his people. It's his chosen ones. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. So there is a difference here in the way that the Lord treats those who are his. Those whom he has set his special love upon. And that is what is going on with Gomer, this woman who illustrates the life of Israel. God says to Israel, I have set my love upon you just because I love you. Love is not necessarily rational. It's just love. Why do you love somebody? Well, because I love them. And that's what God says about Israel, and that's what's going on here with Hosea and his separated, now separated wife. Gomer, he still loves her. And she has decided to walk away from the marriage, and God is saying to Israel, you have decided to walk away from the marriage. We saw last week that this is not a final divorce, but this is a painful separation. In fact, in verse 5, it's very interesting. If you go over to Hosea chapter 2, Hosea chapter 2, she leaves her husband. She becomes a whore or a prostitute. 
Hosea, her husband, still loves her, but she is now gone. She has separated herself from him. And she becomes so desperate in her love of sin and her love of this lifestyle of wildness that she says, I will go after my lovers. Isn't that interesting? Usually it's the man who goes after the prostitute. The prostitute is standing there. The man drives up with the car. Oftentimes it's the fancy car and says, get on in. And uh, all of a sudden you see this, this woman in scantily clothed attire get into this car as he peels off. But Gomer has become so desperate that it's not just the men who are coming after her. She is so desperate in her whoredom and so uh, desirous of going after this lifestyle that she is the one actually pursuing all of her lovers. I remember I have it etched in my brain that when I was very young, between the ages of 8 and 13, I can remember on numerous occasions my family and other believers, adults from our church. We had home group and in many ways was much like this church, a real community, a real family of people who really loved each other. And there were times that we would go into some of the, the worst parts of Columbus in the inner city in front of bars and simply witness, simply tell people about Christ. And in front of these bars, oftentimes there were prostitutes. And it was a sad sight. I can still remember this, watching this, even as a little fella. Which, by the way, it's very interesting what little young people remember, even the atmosphere. And that's why they even need to be in church. They'll remember this atmosphere. They might not remember the sermon. They might not remember a lot of things that were said. But they will remember the way that they felt. And sometimes they'll even remember the songs that were sung. So this is a powerful place. So we can be impressed as children either for good and holiness or for unrighteousness and wickedness. And I remember standing there watching as these, these men would pull up. And um, it was very clear some of them were family men. That they would pull up and they would ask one of these ladies to get in the car with them. And then they would drive off perhaps even having car seats of their own kids in the back seat. A sad, sad sight. And we say this not as a way of condemnation, but in way of sorrow, saying, Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for sparing us from some of this. And yet, Lord, we look at our own sin and we think, Lord, this is exactly. See, what he's doing here with Gomer is he's saying, this is all of us. This is how we have acted. This is how you have acted. It's not just her. This isn't just some bad lady and bad men. This is us. that We have tragically gone after different gods. It's not just that other false gods have pursued us, but in our lust we have pursued other gods, whoring after other gods, desiring other things in this world, breaking the very heart of God. I can remember this one lady who got in this car with a, with a man. And evidently, uh, he was expecting something different because she jumped out rather quickly. And it became evident that it was a man dressed in drag. 
and uh, he thought that it was just a, a lady. But I, I still remember that in, in my mind, the depths of sin, the sorrow of sin, the, the darkness of sin. We've all experienced this. And God is saying about Gomer, he's saying the same thing about Israel. You have gone after these things. It's been in your heart. There's something in you that says, I want that life. Oh, I want that. I desire that. I wish I could have that kind of life if I could just go after it and, and I would be fulfilled and happy and this would be this wonderful thing. I desire sin. What God says is sin. These are the things I long for. I long for. And you, you, can, you can be kept in a, you can be kept in a, a cage, spiritually speaking. It's like a tiger in a cage. The tiger seems a little bit serene and perhaps peaceful. He's just caged in. You let that tiger out and he's wild. And that's the same thing with many people who even go to church. Inwardly speaking, oh, they're, they're caged. They go to church and they, they go through the appropriate steps of religion. Everything looks okay on the outside. But on the inside, they're saying, this is what I lust after. This is what I hunger after. I don't hunger after any of this. I don't, like ch- I don't even like church people. I like the world. It's worldliness. First John talks about the love of the world. And so here, Gomer is going after her lovers. And yet, because she has been marked, as we said, by God, he hedges her way with thorns in verse 6. He he hems her in so that she can't get everything that she desires. Oh, yes, she's getting the things of sin, but she's not fulfilled in them. She continues to go after them, more and more panting after these things. The kindness of God has shown that even in our rebellion, he continues to provide for us. Think about that. Think of all the times that we have sinned, all, all the times that we have run from God. Yet God, in his mercy, he still feeds us. He still clothes us. He still makes sure that we're okay. This is, this is the mercy of God. Look at verse 8 with me of Hosea chapter 2. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain. So she's going after these lovers. And the lovers are providing different things for her, food, perhaps clothing, Money, all these different things that she has and Israel has. They have all of these different things. And yet they don't recognize, they do not know. It's I, God says, who gave it to her. The grain, the wine, and the oil who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. So instead of saying, Lord, we thank you for giving all these good gifts to us, We thank you, Lord Jesus, for providing for us. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we have food on the table every day. Thank you, Lord, that even when things are tight, we still have a bed to go to sleep in. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for clothing on our backs and shoes on our feet. Lord, we thank you for all these things. Instead of thanking the Lord who made heaven and earth and gave everybody everything that's in it, they go to Baal. And they say, we thank you, Lord or Master, which is what Baal means, who um, was the overseer of fertility and life, this false god who was no god, 
behind this false god was, was demons. And instead of thanking the Lord, who actually provided all of the sustenance, all of the things that they had and all the things that they needed, she goes to her lovers and she says to her pimp, thank you for providing all these things for me. Israel goes after God, after false gods, and says, thank you for providing all of these things for me. And God is saying here, don't you, don't you realize it's me who's provided these things, even in the midst of your rebellion. I was the one taking care of you. I was the one feeding you. I was the one clothing you. Have you come to the point where you say, thank you, Lord, recognizing it's the Lord who made all these things and gave them to us? You know, when we sit around the dinner table, oftentimes we'll say things like, um, Lord, would you bless this food to our body? And that's okay because we're saying, Lord, use this food to make us strong. And Lord, use, use this food to make us healthy and help us, Lord, to go out and do the things uh, that we need to do, uh, drive and walk and all the things that we do. Lord, use this food as fuel. But how oftentimes do we actually thank the Lord? Oftentimes we'll say it, thank you. But do we really realize that everything that we have, all the peas, all the tacos, all the mashed potatoes, all the enchiladas, all the spaghetti, all the whatever you're eating, all the cake is actually a gift from him. So we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, it's not just the hard work that put this on the table. Lord, we thank you for the hard work. Lord, we thank you for the job that provided for this. Lord, we even thank you for the hands that prepared this, whether it was mom or dad or Grandma or Grandpa, Lord, we thank you for this special meal. We thank you for using them to provide this food for us. But ultimately, Lord, we come to you and we receive this food as a gift from you. That's what we're saying when we say thank you. Lord, everything we have, the oil, the wine, the grain, everything that we have comes from you. These clothes that we have on our body, the gas in our car, everything that is a gift, is a gift from you. And Lord, we thank you for it. I want you to notice, though, he continues to provide for her. He continues to provide for Israel, even in the midst of their rebellion. But he does something else rather gracious, which may not seem gracious at first. But he uncovers us. He exposes us. This might seem kind of harsh of God, but it's actually his, his kindness. Notice what he does to those who are marked out as his in verse 10 of Hosea chapter 2. God says, now I will uncover her lewdness. This means literally her private parts. I'm going to expose her, not, not in some sick way, but I'm going to show, I'm going to show how sad she is, undesirable. She is. So he says in verse 10, Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. So there comes a point where God says, Gomer, I'm going to expose you to your lovers for who you really are. And I'm going to make you undesirable to them. 
There's going to come a point where they use you and abuse you so much that they finally look at you and you're worn down and you're tired and you're haggard and you're not what you used to be. God is saying that he's going to have these lovers look at her so now they have had their way with her over and over again, lover after lover. They're going to look at her and say, you know what? I, I don't I don't want you anymore. This is actually the, the love of God where it gets to the point where the world even says, you know what? The party's over. Uh, the money's gone. The jewelry is gone. The scent is gone. The beauty is gone. The music's gone. All of that has stopped. All of that has faded. All the quote-unquote friends have left. Well, it was such a wonderful time in the beginning. The party music. All of the looks. It's amazing. Our looks over time, they just, they just fade. So at a certain point, they say, you know what? We don't desire you anymore. You know, there are some people who are stuck in sin, and this never happens to It just continues on and on and on, and there's no end to it. And this is why Christian mama or Christian daddy or Christian grandpa or Christian grandma gets on their knees and says this, something like this, Oh, Lord, bring the party to an end. Lord, make it undesirable. Don't let this thing continue. Lord, it's your grace that at some point is going to expose what's really going on. The world just says, more, more, more. We want some more. We're never going to be satisfied. We've talked about this a lot with especially different men, but no one ever says, you know what, I've seen enough porn, seen enough nakedness to satisfy me for the rest of my life. No, it's, it's the next thing. The alcoholic doesn't just say, you know what? I've come to the place in my life where that drink will satisfy me for the next 10 years. I'm, I'm good to go. That never happens. The drug addict, the illicit relationship addict, the person who is in sin who just says, I'm going to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Listen, there are people who keep going for the rest of their lives. Listen, there are people who are skin and bones and they're still smoking cigarettes Cancer is riddling their body. They're so, won't believe, won't, won't give in. Hard as a rock. Listen, I've, I've been with people at the end of their life. You think the end of their life will get them, right? They're riddled with cancer. And you think, well, this is, this is the bottom. You hear people say, well, they just need to hit rock bottom. We've seen a lot of people hit rock bottom and below that who refuse to come. People say, well, they'll just find everybody finds Jesus in jail. Really? Really? There's not a better place to find Jesus than in jail. But not everybody in jail finds Jesus, believe me. And not everybody with a fancy car and a nice-looking family finds Jesus. And there are proud people who walk around going, I've got money, I've got the car, I've got everything I need, I'm fine, few problems in my life, but I don't need Jesus, there are people who have hit rock bottom 
and they still say to themselves, I don't need Jesus. I'm fine the way I am. I had a person say to me, look at me at the end of their life in hospice saying, I don't want you to pray. I don't want you to pray. Leave me alone. Now, you would think at the end of somebody's life, that's when they would be the most soft. Not necessarily. And so it's God who has to step in. It's not just the person hitting rock bottom. People say, oh, they'll hit rock bottom and then they'll turn to God. Not really. Not really. There are, there are caskets filled with people, with millions of people who have died and hit rock bottom and never turned to God. You can hit rock bottom all day, all night, year after year, decade after decade, and never come to Christ. Never come to Christ. But what we do pray for is that God uses this. That's why it says in verse 10, listen, you don't even have to look at these words. Just listen to the words. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers. I will do this, God says. I will I will make this whole scene despicable. I will make this scene undesirable. Now notice this. And no one shall rescue her from my hand. That's God. It's God intervening and saying, this party's coming to an end. It's God who says, no more, no mas. little Spanish lingo there. Okay, I am going to El Salvador. No more. No more. This is what we pray for. You have someone in your life you're praying no more for? You praying for someone in your life? Oh, God, no more. No more. Close the door. Put the hedges around. Lord, it's only your hand. No one's going to rescue them. He said, God's going to uncover their lewdness. This is so cruel of God. This is harsh of God. This is rude of God. No, this is the loving kindness of God. He's bringing, he's bringing the evil party to an end, and he's showing it for what it really is so that person doesn't die and go to hell forever and then experience what real torment is because the party at some point does come to an end. It comes to an end. And so the question is, does it come to an end here or does it come to an end in death? And that's the question. And God is saying, in my love, she's used up, she's eaten up, she's beaten up, she's whatever up. But God is saying this, I love her. I love her. She's mine. I've set my mark on her. I have called her out. This is why we started by talking about those who are his. Those who are his. He says, Hosea is saying, he's illustrating this. He's saying, Gomer's mine. I love her. That's what love says. Remember Matt Chandler giving an illustration that still sticks in my mind. It's a... Right illustration, but he was at some teen conference. And this man had a rose who was speaking, and he held this rose up in front of all of the teens, and he was talking about sex outside of marriage. And he then, as he was talking about it, said, here, you, you have it. You guys can look at it. And he threw it out into the crowd, and teen after teen began to handle it and look at it and touch it. And finally, by the end of... The time of, of him talking, he got the rose back, and he says, Kids, this is what happens when we have sex outside of marriage. 
And he said this, who would want a rose like this in marriage? And Matt Chandler said with everything in him, he wanted to scream, God does. God wants that rose. God wants it. And that's what God is saying here. He's saying you've been used up. Yeah, you've been mistreated in your life. You've done things that are wrong. You've gone after other lovers, but I love you. That's the message of Hosea. I love you. I don't care what you've done. I, I, I love you so much. Listen, that's why I sent Jesus Christ to the cross. That's why we sing in this song, this, uh, this new song that we've been singing. He didn't want heaven without us. He wants you there. And he loves you so much that he's going to do anything to bring you back. He's going to make you and me beautiful again. Listen, every one of us is that beaten up, used up rose. And if you don't know that, that's because you're a proud Pharisee. You're a Pharisee. God is saying here, I'll uncover her lewdness. I'm going to do it because I love her. I'm going to bring her back. I wish we could keep going. I don't know where these services go. Well, we turn the catechism every Sunday into a sermon, so that's we get part and then we go on to something else. I just hope you're here next week because as James Montgomery Boyce says, he says, um, he says, this is the second most beautiful message in all the Bible, except for the explicit teaching of the gospel in the New Testament. And then in chapter 3, which I can't wait to get to next week, he says it's the most beautiful chapter in the whole Bible. Listen, this is a, this is a beautiful message of God's redeeming grace and what he does in our lives, how he loved Israel and how he loves his church. He still loves Israel and he still loves the church and they're not the same. He loves us.